0: Morning, Uh, the reading today is from uh, Jeremiah uh, chapter 5 and verses uh, 20 to 31. Announce this to the house of Jacob and proclaim it in Judah. Hear this, you foolish and senseless people, who have eyes but do not see, who have ears but do not hear. Should you not fear me, declares the Lord, should you not tremble in my presence? I made the sand a boundary for the sea, an everlasting barrier it cannot cross. The waves may roll, but they cannot prevail. They may roar, but they cannot cross it. But these people have stubborn and rebellious hearts. They have turned aside and gone away. They do not say to themselves, let us fear the Lord our God, who gives autumn and spring rains in season, who assures us of the regular weeks of harvest. Your wrongdoings have kept these away. Your sins have deprived you of good. Among my people are wicked men who lie in wait like men who snare birds, and like those who set traps to catch men. Like cages full of birds, their houses are full of deceit. They have become rich and powerful and have grown fat and sleek. Their evil deeds have no limit. They do not plead the case of the fatherless to win it. They do not defend the rights of the poor. Should I not punish them for this, declares the Lord, Should I not avenge myself on such a nation as this? A horrible and shocking thing has happened in the land. The prophets prophesy lies. The priests rule by their own authority. And my people love it this way. But what will you do in the end? Amen. Thank you for God's word.
1: Thank you so much, Jennifer, for that, and uh, Angus for leading, and uh, Ethan and all the folks, and Emily, take us through the time of worship. Good morning, friends. Please join me in prayer. Let's pray. Father, may the words of my mouth. Those words that you gave me coming through this month, which you created, and may the meditation of our heart as we listen, engage with your word, digest, respond. May that all be pleasing to you, our rock and our redeemer. And would you minister to us by your spirit? Use me as a mere vessel. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As uh, we heard at the beginning from Emily, when uh, she called uh, us uh, to uh, the worship, that uh, we as a church has been going through a wonderful series uh, entitled The Ancient Path, taken from uh, Jeremiah chapter six, verse 16. And then today is the path of reverent fear. Imagine how good it would be if the nation's cry were that of verse 24, which is coming on the screen of that text which we have just read. Imagine that that is the cry of our nation today. Let us now fear the Lord. Just imagine how good it would be if that were our cry as a church. Imagine how good that would be if it were a cry for you as a couple, husband and wife. If it was a cry of your family. If it were a cry for you as a boyfriend and girlfriend, if it was a cry for you as a business partner, if this was a cry for you as a single bachelor, widow, widower, just imagine that you are saying, let me fear the Lord. Just imagine how good it would be. The truth is that the fear of the Lord is one of those things that is lacking among many people, even among us, God's people. There are various instances in this book of Jeremiah since we started, we have already come across where we could observe that God's people in Jeremiah's time had already lost their sense of awe, their sense of respect, their sense of fear, their sense of reverence of the Lord. And so in another way, as we go through this, There is going to be a call. But just walk with me through a few verses before we come to this. Since we started this uh, um, series from uh, these first uh, six chapters. Look at from chapter 2, verse 9. Now, I hope you have a Bible with you in front of you or you have it electronically. I think it would be good to walk with me. Uh, Chapter 2, verse 19, which we already dealt, uh, I think it was the second um, uh, sermon on this series, where the Lord is saying, your wickedness will punish you, your backsliding will rebuke you. Consider then and realize how evil and bitter it is for you when you forsake the Lord your God and have no always of me, declares the Lord. Another week we saw in chapter 3, verse 8, and probably it was last week. We just went through that. Chapter 3, verse 8, where the Lord, his heart is just yearning to see these people get it right with him. And he has already punished the Kingdom of North. And then he comes to verse eight, and he says, I gave faithless Israel, chapter three, verse eight. Israel has certificate of divorce and sent her away because of her adultery. Yet I saw that her unfaithful sister, Judah, had no fear. Again, that word, the reverence, the respect, at the beginning of this series, we went uh, all the way to chapter 36, verse 24. So jump there and come with me to chapter 36, verse 24, where we see the king and his, all his attendants. Chapter 6, verse 24. They have been given the book, which is, uh, we can call it today like the Bible. They have been given the Bible, and they are hearing the word, read but we read from verse 24 of chapter 36 the king and all his attendants who heard all the words showed no fear no reverence in other words they had a low view of the scripture And I think this is uh, for me to say, as I said, having witnessed by God's grace to various places, and I can see what is happening even in our own nation. I think it is the devil's work to give people a low view of the scripture and encourage them to depend not on God's word but to depend on their own minds and heart. That's what the king and his attendant did. Now back to our passage, twice in this passage which Jennifer read to us beautifully, where the Lord highlights emphatically the lack of fear and reverence of his, among his people. And therefore, that's why the title of this morning, the ancient path of reverence. The Lord is calling us to walk through this path. Twice in this passage, look at verse 22. Should you not fear me? Those I know many of here have those expertise in the language. In other words, the emphasis is at the beginning. It is me you should, you should really fear. Are you not fearing me? Me, are you not fearing? Verse 24 is the same. The, the Lord' heart breaks because his people are not fearing him. Not having any respect, any reverence. So the question is, what, is, um, what does it mean um, to fear the Lord to begin with? Now, there are a few things that can be said, but in the Bible, particularly in the Old Testament, fearing the Lord is becoming so acutely aware of his moral purity and the omnipotence. That's a big word, which means really his power, his position, his sovereignty, to be acutely aware of that, that one is genuinely afraid to disobey him. That is to say, just not a mere psycho- psychological fear, but this is to show more of honor and respect. In other words, the reverence or the fear of the Lord is not just a, um, owe and reverence is more than that. But also, it is responding to him in worship, in service, giving to him everything, in trust that he will provide, in obedience, without question, in commitment and submission, to his authority, holding nothing back. There is an example in the Bible that helps us to see this before we continue uh, our passage. In uh, Genesis 22, verse 12, you know the story. Genesis 22, verse 12, where Abraham has been given the son that he has been waiting and now the Lord wanted this dearest son to Abraham to be given back to him. And Abraham could not hesitate. And then he comes to when he was about to sacrifice and give back this child to God. We hear in verse 12 of Genesis 22 that the Lord said, Do not lay a hand on the boy. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God. Now I know. Well, was God surprised that Abraham did not fear him? He knew. But at this time, there is a profound thing here. In other words, the fear of the Lord is doing. Is, is expressed in a way that our best evidence of fearing God is our willing to serve and honor him with that which is dearest to us and to part with that for him and to him. And that is a test to each one of us constantly. God asking you, give me back, The one thing that is so dear to you, dear to me, what is it? What's the Lord asking you this morning or what the Lord has been asking you this week? Now you may think, oh, uh, the, the fear of the Lord is more in the Old Testament, but the New Testament, I don't find it so much, I don't have time to go there, but there are a couple of passages in the New Testament, where the fear of the Lord is there, a reverent fear remains for the awesomeness of God doesn't change. In fact, in First Peter chapter 1, verse 17, we are told that our whole life, our whole journey here on Earth, we are strangers. This is not our permanent home. We are passing. But our whole journey here on earth should be a life lived in reverent fear. And that includes having a dread of that word we don't want to hear, the wrath of God, in what we say, what we think, and what we do. Having that fear, just like uh, we have, uh, and uh, we cannot compare that, that in that level, but think, think how acutely we are not offending people. And, and try to put that to God and say, I don't want to offend you. Having that dread. But the people here on earth, you can offend them, although we are not encouraged to do that, but actually they have limited power to what they can do to you. But imagine the one who has all the power. As it was in the days of Jeremiah, God is calling us to walk through the path of reverent fear, for we will fear Find rest, as that chapter 6, verse 16 says. Ask the ancient path, walk on it, and you will find rest for your soul. And it will be good when you go through the book of Jeremiah in chapter 32, verse 39. For it is our own good to fear the Lord. So let's observe three things quickly. Number one, how does those who do not fear the Lord become? That's what we need to observe in this passage. Those who do not fear the Lord become something. And in this passage from verse 21, but also chapter 4, verse 22, we see that when people don't fear the Lord... They become stupid. They become foolish. They become senseless. They become blind. They become deaf. Now, we may think, "Oh, that's a hard language. But that's the truth. No matter what intelligent you may be, the Bible says you become stupid. You become foolish. You become senseless. You have the skills. The only wisdom you have is to do evil. That's not me. But chapter 4, verse 22 tells us. In other words, the people now lack wisdom. And my friend, we know that wisdom is something that the world is crying to have. Not only on the politician, among the politician, But even us here, because our lives every day, we have to make a decision. Younger people, with whom shall I marry and start life? When shall I begin to have kids? I was having a conversation with someone I won't name this week. Or we wait because A, B, C, D. Where will I move to study? They've made already a choice. What decision The world will cry every day for wisdom to know the right thing to do, the right decision to make. But when people become foolish and senseless, then they begin to have their skills to sin and come up with sophisticated formulas to justify that sin is not sin. Because at the end of the day, we're intelligent people, but in the eyes of God, he sees you're stupid. And we read that the beginning, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Martin Luther, in his commentary on on Romans, uh, commenting on chapter 3, verse 18, where it says, there's no fear, of the Lord there, he says, I quote, where there is no fear of God, there people, men and women, become proud and presumptuous. And remember, God opposes to the proud. And so when we look at this, what God normally is saying He wanted us not to be stupid. He wanted us not to be senseless. But he wanted us to go back to him to become a holy people. Because that's what the beginning they were. Look at chapter 2, verse 3. Chapter 2, verse 3 in this book. Remember, we are looking at these six chapters, so back and forth. At the beginning, God saw these people were people who were holy to him. In other words, they were set apart and they were people who were pursuing holiness. And in that time, as they pursued holiness and they were set apart to him, there were the people who were wise in his eyes, but now they've turned away. God wants his people to hate sin, and to shun evil so that they can be holy to him. No wonder as his heart breaks in chapter 32, verse 40, he promised one day, that's what our God is. When he sees us struggling, he will do it because when we cannot do it ourselves, he will do it. In chapter 32, verse 40, he says, I will give them something new. I will put in their heart reverence for me so that they cannot turn away again from me. Friend, where the fear of God prevails, people people become humble and pious because we recognize this is the Lord's doing. When we look at this as I was studying, I realized that the lack of reverence for the Lord is the cause of all disorders in life, in conduct, in church decline as well, and the nation. In other words, when we pursue holiness and seek holiness, as we fear the Lord, eh? the Bible teaches us also that the church grows. I don't have time to look at these passages, but you can go to the New Testament in Acts chapter 5, verse 5. In Acts chapter 9, verse 31, you will see that there is a link between holiness and the church growth. And so when we, the minister, becoming a laughing stock, in the past, if I go to the hospital, I put my collar, quickly they will take me there. These days, sometimes they have just to say, well, wait, particularly, but they still have a little respect for that. You have never seen me probably with that, but I, I use it to go to the hospital like just like a pass. Because <laughs> if I tell them I'm a pastor, who are you? But becoming a laughing stock in the market. And because of that, the church is declining, declining. But when there was a fear of the Lord, the church grew. Because it's due to also to God's discipline. The second thing we need to observe. What leads people to have no fear for God? Well, what is interesting, when you study this sixth chapter, you'll find that eh, One of the things that leads people to have no fear of the Lord is that the people, ah, I think I could just remove, but I can't. The people develop what can be called a wobbly view of God. In other words, when we no longer have great thought for God, our fear disappear quickly. Look at chapter five, verse twelve. I want to comment these. They thought God was absent and ineffective. Chapter five, verse twelve. God was absent, ineffective, and they talk harsh things against God. In verse twenty-three, they failed to see that God is the Creator. That's so important. These days, uh, there is uh, a tendency in our nation to, to worship creation rather than creator. I was seeing the other day the crowd in what they call it again, Stonehenge? Is that to call it? And some of them, with the young baby, they, I don't know what time they went there. And I'm thinking, oh Lord, this is paganism. Son, how beautiful. But who's behind the sun? The creator. Because when we have him as the creator, then we know that he's all-powerful. And He's that word we use is omnipotent. He's so powerful and utterly in control. And therefore, because he's in control, we will stand in awe of him. Look at these couple of verses where his grandeur is manifested, or his, his greatness, his majesty is manifested in the way he created the sea and made a boundary that the tide can go until a certain point and he's in control to make the tide come back. The tide have no way of disobeying to God. The limit he made for that cannot be crossed. And yet, as human beings, oh Lord, forgive. We are quick to cross the moral boundaries that the Lord has set up. How appalling it is. But also they failed to see that God is the provider. And because it's the provider, is trustworthy, is dependable. But as we saw at the time, they went for broken systems where they could not be quenched in the thirst. So, on one hand, we have the greatness of God, and the other hand, we have the goodness of God, His provision. Faced with these two should lead us to respect and fear the Lord. As I was looking and yesterday, as we were at a prayer meeting and someone was sharing how a dear friend who was a powerful minister have a lovely voice and the voice now is no longer there. I took note in the prayer meeting as I was thinking of the sermon say, it is true, Lord. It's only by your grace that I have a voice to speak. It's only by your grace that I have feet to stand up and walk. It's only by your grace that I have eyes to see. It's only by your grace and your provision that I have arms to hold things. And for you ladies, arms to do your makeup. And instead of respecting the Lord, those makeup become something for arrogance Or your voice or your intelligence, the brain, becomes something rather than fearing the Lord. And my feet, rather than being swift to proclaim the gospel, but swift to go to things that are not of the Lord. Oh, how necessary that would depend on him, really. But how blind we are to his dependence, to our dependence of, on, on, on his provision. But I also failed to see that God is the God of history. In other words, he's the judge. He can bring judgment at any time. Look at verse 9 and verse 29 where he's saying, can I not bring judgment? Now, this is a topic we don't want to hear. But already these people have suffered some judgment. One of the judgments they have suffered, God has withdrawn blessings in verse 25. Friends, a wobbly view of God, a view which doesn't take God as a judge, we miss something. And this is lacking in our pulpit. I think when we were in I tried to look at some of my sermons, but some of them, because they're handwritten, I could not find them. So, but I can remember thinking, in Raymond, I make a quote from J.I. Parker in his book of Knowing God, where these days people don't want to hear the topic of the wrath of God or the judgment. And he say, I quote, Speak to the people of God as a father, as a friend, as a helper. One who loves us despite of our weaknesses and folly and sin. And their faces light up. And you are on their wavelength at once. But speak to them of God as a judge. And the throne... And they shake their heads, their mind recoil from such an idea, they find it repellent and unworthy. But again, among many other verses, look at the one I quoted earlier in First Peter chapter one, verse 17. He says, "You call the God." You call it God, but this God eh, He's the Father who judges impartially. So you have the love of God and the justice and the ju- God as a judge. They are both eh, not inconsistent, but consistent. You remember? Steve will know this. He's my friend. That's why I keep eh, bringing all the people who are my friend. If you don't hear your name, don't think I'm not your friend. (laughs) You are still my friend, but I need to ask permission. Others, I don't. Steve knows this because that is the area. In the 18th century, Jonathan Edward preached a sermon, a hard one, Sinners in the Hand of an Angry God. Can you hear that title? Sinners in the Hand of an Angry God. God used that preaching to bring an awakening in that town of Enfield. Sadly, we don't hear such sermons. And he said, naturally, natural people are held in the hand of God over the pit of hell. And so he said, therefore, let everyone who is out of Christ now awake and fly to Jesus. I don't have a pleasure in preaching topics which are hard, but I can't help because I'm bound to preach the whole counsel of God. And it's time, friends, to face these difficulties. I refer to you to one thing, for instance, in the New Testament, in First Thessalonians 1, verse 10, where it says the people have received Jesus Christ and they are waiting for him to come back because Jesus is the one who rescues us from the coming wrath. Do you know that there's a coming wrath? No one, no one who loves you will shy away to tell you that. And because I'm your friend and your humble servant, I just say to you passionately, compassionately, there is a wrath to come. Run away to the one who shed his blood on the cross and who gave his life for you, for me. The wrath fell on him so that you may be free. I may be free. Let me finish with the last one. how the fear of the lord inspires our attitude towards others what struck me in this passage there is a connection between the lack of reverence for god and the injustice towards the most vulnerable people in the society The whole chapter 5 is filled with language where the society at that time, the whole society, the culture has become a culture of dishonesty, a culture of greed as people want more and more for themselves and not caring about others. And so the Lord say, if you fear me, you will look after your brothers and sisters. And that's what we find in the New Testament as well. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21, which is a text that takes us from what the Holy Spirit does in our lives when we are filled with the Holy Spirit. Then we also become submitted to one another out of reverence for Christ. I will be submitted to you out of reverence for Christ. Become your servant. You become my servant. We become not only the servant of God, but a servant of one another. Think about uh, the society we are in. If we had the fear of God, there will be no more cheating. We will have healthy marriages. Healthy relationship. Greed. Which is idolatry. I want more. I want more for myself. For myself. For myself. I'm tempted many a time for that. I told you last Sunday. The the Sunday before. We sat there at the. The, 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 the entrance, there was this luxury car that just came there. And there. Uh, I don't know who started, I think it's Clayton. He said, Is this the pastor's car? And uh, Paulo said, We wish we could send the bill to David Marks. And we all went, Oh, look at the car. Now, if you are not out of the car, wow, well, but uh, you know, you lack, you lack, your mind goes, Ooh. Sometimes we don't think about these. Let me finish. I started by asking. Or just saying. Just imagine. If a nation cry would be. Let's fear the Lord. Just imagine. Just imagine. As I look at this passage. At the end I thought. If I. My wife. As a family, I as an individual, as as a member of the staff, as as staff in St Andrews Baptist Church, as as St Andrews Baptist Church, as as a community here, if we fear the Lord, oh, we would be wise, we would be pious, we would be not crossing the boundaries that the Lord set up. We would be compelled to delight in ways that are his and to depart from what is not of him. We would seek to grow in holiness, hating sin. We would trust him more. We would obey him, not holding back. We would tear those idols that have been enthroned where Christ should be enthroned and will find the rest. My time is up. Not that I'm blaming, but that's exactly what we said. In fact, I'm two minutes late. But come with me quickly to the last book of the Old Testament, Malachi, and I just want to read that verse and leave it with us. Malachi chapter Three, the last book of the Old Testament. As you listen to this, these are the people living in a culture where there is no fear of the Lord. But this is what they decided. They're living in a culture where there's no fear of the Lord, where people are saying a harsh thing against the Lord. In chapter 3, verse 16, chapter 3 of Malachi, verse 16. It says, then those who fear the Lord talked with each other, and the Lord listened and heard. And a scroll of remembrance was written in his presence concerning those who fear the Lord and honor his name. They will be mine, says the Lord Almighty, in the day. When I will make up my treasured possession. I will spare them. Just as in compassion a man spares his son who serves him. You can go on. There is a beauty. There is a ministry. There is a security. There is a joy to fear the Lord. May he help us to be among these ones that fear the Lord looking unto Jesus Christ to him be the glory. Amen.